Those of you maybe just joining us online, glad you're with us. If you're watching us later or listening to this later on the podcast, uh, glad you're doing that as well. Uh, if, it's, if it's your first time with us or maybe first few times with us, you're here on a great day because uh, we are starting a brand new series today in the book of, you guessed it, Acts. Yeah. Uh, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Acts chapter 1. That's where we're going to be, uh, Acts chapter 1. Um, I have had a hard time this week not saying the gospel of Acts for some reason. I don't know why, maybe because I said the gospel of John for so long. Uh, but it's not a gospel, so if I say that, just know that it's a mistake. Uh, the book of Acts, and so uh, we're going to start in the um, first chapter, of course. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a hardbacked blue one around you. We're going to have the text on the screen later, too, uh, because you're going to read it, and I'm going to read it with you, And so get ready for that. But if you're not used to the Bible... Uh, the big numbers are the chapters, the small numbers are the verses, uh, and if you don't own a Bible, there's ones out there you can grab on that black table in the lobby. Now, the other good thing about today, if you're newer with us, is that uh, you're going to get a feel for what our regular diet of kind of Sunday morning teaching is like. Uh, this is kind of the uh, meat and potatoes, if you will, or the main course, if you will, of the way that I like to do kind of the main part of the teaching on a Sunday morning. So uh, some pastors like to be more topical. Some like to walk through books of the Bible. I'm the second kind. And so it's my norm to just kind of walk you through a book of the Bible. We just got done with the Gospel of John. Uh, we took a lot of weeks to do that. It won't all be at once. We won't spend the next 50 weeks in Acts, but we will be in Acts until Advent. Uh, so all the way through the summer and the fall with a few things sprinkled in here and there. Uh, so we're going to do kind of a hopefully a deep dive. Um, and so there's a couple reasons why. I like to do this. Um, I would much rather do kind of a walk through a book of the Bible over a long period of time, firstly, because I don't trust myself, uh, because I'm human and I have pet things that I want to talk about all the time, right? And so if I just choose the topics, we're going to get into a pattern where I'm just going to say the same stuff over and over. Uh, and there's a sense in which I should say the same thing over and over because we're just here to preach the gospel and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But if we walk through a book of the Bible, the Bible dictates what we cover, and so we're just going to do that. Secondly, walking through, the book of a, walking through a book of the Bible is kind of an opportunity for uh, the person doing the teaching to sort of show you their work, if you will. Uh, right? Like a, a math teacher might write a problem on the board and then show you how to solve that problem. That's kind of part of what uh, I hope that preaching does, is that as we work through a book of the Bible and we get to those tricky bits that are in books of the Bible, right? Uh, you see, oh, okay, this is the principle by which we kind of work our way through that. And then you grow in confidence and, and understand the tools that you have that you can study the Bible on your own. Because as important as teaching you the Bible is, right, it's like the main thing that I get to do as a pastor and as an elder in a church, it's the main charge, teach. Uh, and so as important as that is, what's actually just as or more important for me is to model for you how to study the Bible, to teach you how to study. Now, some of you have been studying the Bible longer than me, uh, and so... But that's my job, and so that's what I want to do as we work our way through books of the Bible. So as we work our way through books of the Bible, we come into those tricky parts. Hopefully we'll uh, cover some principles and methods and resources for which you can then take that home and study the Bible. Now, why are we studying the book of Acts? Well, the main reason why we would do this, number one for me, is I haven't done it before as a main preaching pastor, and so that's exciting. Uh, but also, where we are in the life of our church, kind of coming out of finally, I think I can say, finally kind of coming out of COVID, turning the corner, hopefully flipping a new chapter, um, 
And for the life of our church, if you're newer, we are sort of in a phase of kind of replanting and re-envisioning our church over these last few years. Uh, and so the book of Acts is really the main source for kind of understanding the beginnings of the church, uh, the beginnings of the thing that we're now a part of called the church. And so without Acts, we wouldn't know very much about how the early, uh, what we might call the apostolic church era, how it kind of happened and began All we would know is what we could pick up here and there from Paul's letters and other things in the New Testament. But Acts really gives us that uh, kind of main source to really understand our own roots. And so it also, the book of Acts, has this theme that runs through it as a thread, as most books of the Bible do, where we see the work of the Holy Spirit through the birth, kind of the infant stage, and then really kind of the adolescent stage of the church Uh, in its early years. And so the title of this book, and some of our older Bibles might say the Acts of the Holy Spirit, right? You might have seen that. Really, a a title that could be a good working title, although it's way too long, uh, would actually be the Acts of the Risen Jesus through the Holy Spirit working through the church. That would be kind of more accurate, but we just say Acts because it fits on the heading of a Bible. So, So it actually forms kind of a counterpoint to the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then John, of course, Acts sort of forms a counterpart to that. So in the Gospels, we see the Son of Man offer his life, right? Son of Man, title for Jesus. But in Acts, we see the Son of God, uh, through his Spirit, offer his power to the church. In the Gospels, we see the original sort of seeds of Christianity, and then in Acts, we see that seed begin to take root and begin to grow into what we now call the church. The Gospels tells us, uh, uh, tell us of Christ crucified and risen. Then the book of Acts comes along and speaks of Christ ascended and exalted and empowering his church. The Gospels model the Christian life as lived by the perfect man, Jesus. And then Acts models it out as lived by imperfect people like you and me. Thank God for that. And so that's what we're about to step into for the foreseeable future on Sunday mornings. I want to encourage you as we move through this book, be reading the book of Acts. Read it a few times. Read it uh, maybe once or twice a month as just kind of an extra little practice on top of your Bible reading, which, yes, as your pastor, I'm assuming we're all doing, right? We have a plan if you need one. Uh, And so I just want to encourage you. You can't read too much Bible, okay? Uh, You really can't, because if you're reading it and the Holy Spirit is illuminating it to your eyes, you're going to do the things that it says, and you're going to become more present with Jesus, all good things, all the point. And so just want to encourage you as we make our way through these texts and acts to be reading it. So this morning, we're going to kick off the series. I'm going to invite all of us to read the first 11 verses of the book of Acts together. It's going to be on the screen. I'll get us started, and then I will kind of back off. That name that you see there is Theophilus. That's how you say that. I know that's the only tricky word I think that's in this text. Theophilus is how you say that. So, this is Acts chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1, and together we're going to read the first 11 verses. I'll get us started, and then I'll back off. Let's read together. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. 
For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let me pray. Jesus, again, we ask that you would bless this time that we're about to have in your word as we kind of dig in and take it apart and think through what it means to be your witness. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to be present with us and illuminate what you want us to see this morning. Amen. Okay, so the author of Acts, if you didn't know, is Luke. Dr. Luke, the physician. Uh, we actually just finished up kind of the end of his gospel last week in the resurrection uh, account. He wrote the gospel of Luke, and then he writes the, the, the book of, I almost did it, the book of Acts. Uh, and so th that's why in verses 1 and 2 he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So naturally, you got to imagine Theophilus remembered, right, the first book that Luke sent him or got to him. And his thoughts, we can assume, turned to whatever it was, a scroll or papyrus, whatever, however he got it, uh, and it's account of the life of Jesus. And so thereby, he was kind of ready to hear what Dr. Luke was going to say next, right? Kind of chapter two of what Luke wanted to tell him. And then in verses three to five, Luke continues then and gives some, some more new, this is now new information to Theophilus. Uh, he tells him something more of the time after the resurrection of Jesus. He says in verse three, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them, 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, I actually didn't know this until I started this study. Uh, Luke is the only one who talks about 40 days here uh, as the sort of post-resurrection ministry time of Jesus. Uh, we can kind of gather from the evidence we have in the scriptures that Jesus sort of appeared at little intervals and, and in his glorified body was somehow able to move in and out of the life of the disciples, and he would show kind of miraculous signs, and he would teach about the kingdom of God. And so uh, back in the gospel, we have the encounter at the road to Emmaus, which we talked a little bit about last week, and that would be an example of this kind of 40 days. He shows up, they don't even know it's him, and he instructs them all about how the Bible is really all about him. In Luke 24, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then they later said, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scripture? And so the picture of those 40 days is a picture of kind of excitement, mystery. Uh, it's really sort of the sending off the beginning, uh, uh, the anticipation of what's going to happen next. And then Luke keeps going in verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said... You heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit 
not many days from now. Right? If I was a disciple, I'd, I'd probably be like, come on, Jesus, can you give me a number? Not many days, like three, 12, 100 years, what's it going to be? I'd be excited, right? Imagine being in this room. He's resurrected from the dead. He's with you. And he tells you, don't go yet. Now, don't go yet. Wait a few days. Think of what the disciples are imagining. What's this baptism? What, what does this mean? Baptized by the Holy Spirit. Is Jesus going to take them to the Jordan and rebaptize them? I mean, these are the kind of questions they asked during his ministry. We have to assume they would ask these kind of questions, at least in their head. Are they going to hear a voice from heaven like Jesus did? Am I going to be given like supernatural powers? Can I walk on water? What does that mean? Uh, Would they lead a political revolution? What what, what does this mean, Jesus? What is each one of us going to be doing? But all they knew right now is not to leave Jerusalem, but that it would be not many days from now. And so you have to imagine Jesus has planted a seed of anticipation and excitement. Not many days from now. And in the midst of this, this sort of speculation, this excitement, Jesus calls them together, and look at verse 6. I'm going to read 6 to 8. He says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they've got political stuff in their mind. Are you going to kick the Romans out and do it now? That's what they're wondering. And he said to them, don't worry about that. That's basically what he said, right? It's not for you to know. That is a frustrating answer if I'm in that room. Come on, Jesus. Give me an answer. But he says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. There's a sense in which Jesus is just gently reminding them of who's God and who's not. It's not for you to worry about the Father who you love and trust and who loves you has got that. And then he says this sentence, which is really the key. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of of the earth. So these are the final earthly words of Jesus. And in these words, Jesus has kind of laid down in the most clear terms what it looks like to be a disciple who's on mission with him. Uh, we just had a little thing on Wednesday night for folks who were new, and we talked about what it means to be a disciple. When we say that word here, someone who's learning to be and to do like Jesus, and Jesus has just laid out what the doing part of that looks like. Verse 8 really is, can be a key to the entire book of Acts. And it's a central part of our kind of church makeup as an Alliance Church. We're an Acts 1-8 family. That's a catchphrase we use all the time. Chapters 1 to 7 of Acts tell the, of the witness in Jerusalem. Chapter 8 to 11 tell about the witness in all Judea and Samaria. And chapters 12 to 28 tell about the witness to us, the end of the earth. That's what we are from this text. And so this is the foundation on which the church then gets built And this is what our lives as Christians are about. I don't know about you, but when I talk to people, one of the things that kind of seems like it's under the conversation all the time is this search for meaning. All of us are searching for meaning. And so the question I I, want to ask and kind of answer is, are you looking for meaning? Jesus has just laid it out here. Here's the meaning. Be a witness to the kingdom of God and and follow Jesus. That's going to give meaning to your life. So the call to be witnesses is a recurring message in the book of Acts. Here's some examples. Chapter 2, verse 32, it says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Chapter 3, verse 15, You killed the author of life, this is Peter, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. 
Chapter 10, we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Chapter 22, you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. So to be a witness for Jesus is to live out, but also hear me talk, speak, a message that is really so simple. This is, this is the message that we are witness to, that Jesus is God in the flesh incarnate, come to earth to die, to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross. As a side note, on Friday night, Bob and I are going to be having a discussion on the cross. What does it mean? What's atonement? Why does a cross matter? Different theories about what it accomplishes and what it means for us. I want to make sure you, you know that that's happening Friday night at 7. But that's the central message that we're witnesses to. Jesus Christ, God is, is God in the flesh. He has come, died on the cross to pay for our sins. He was did not stay dead. He was resurrected. And now he is exalted in heaven. And he calls us to believe in him, receive forgiveness of sins, and now walk in the power of one who does not have sin as their master anymore. This is good news. This is what the word gospel means. The good news that you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. There, there's no religious system to climb to get to the good news. It's just trust in Jesus, be filled with his spirit, and you've got it. It's just a, a person to come to and trust in. And yet, at the same time, that person, Jesus, calls us to live into that good news that comes by faith alone. He calls us to live into that by stepping into his mission with him. So it's not just believe in Jesus and do nothing, although that, that is what the gospel says. Jesus has done it. But Jesus calls you then into something more. He doesn't just save you from sins. He saves you into the kingdom to be his witness. So he calls us to live into that by stepping into his mission. And so we're going to see in this book, and really the whole New Testament is a like missiology handbook. Uh, right? We're going to see in this book, and, and you see it all over the New Testament, that there is a cost to being a disciple and being a witness of Jesus. There is a cost to your life. There is no part of your life that Jesus is not calling you to submit to him to be a witness. There is no part, not your money, not your identity, not your work. Think of a part of your life and Jesus is calling you to submit it to him in order to be filled by his spirit and be his witnesses. And so as his witnesses, our lives have to display the inner reality of what we're externally proclaiming. We can't say Jesus is the good news and then live like finances are the good news or power is the good news or status is the good news or whatever. This is why the gospel just exploded across Asia in the New Testament. The apostles actually believed what they were saying and they walked what they talked, right? That's the old saying. This is why Paul is able to reach those guards while he's under arrest in the city of Philippi. And all, all the other stories we know from the New Testament. So for those of us who've been in church for a long time, I grew up in the church, and so I'm preaching to myself now, right? For those of us who've been in a church for a long time, we've been doing Bible studies for a long time, we've been hearing sermons for a long time, there is a danger for us that we become so used to talking about and hearing spiritual things 
that we replace time spent with Jesus in his presence for knowledge about Jesus. And those are not the same thing. But the thing is that being an authentic witness demands a heart that is open to hear from the Holy Spirit, open to hear from Jesus, open to growing in experiences of life with Jesus that we say we have when we share the gospel. Right? We tell people, come and Jesus is so good, and yet they look at our life and go, but he doesn't seem that good in your life. And so this is one of the challenges for us. And so in this book, we're going to see the passion as a witness that only comes from time spent with Jesus. And, and if you've been part of our church for a while, you know that I've kind of, in the last couple of years, been exploring more spiritual practices or disciplines. And the point of those is to get you time with Jesus, not to check a box off. And so we'll talk more about these. We'll, we'll see Peter at Pentecost, Stephen at his stoning, Paul before Felix. All of these are witnesses, and what they had in common is what they are experiencing the thing that they're calling others to. That they're experiencing the very thing that they're saying they want others to come and taste. They really know and they really love this Jesus that they keep talking about all the time. And that's why they can keep doing that. And so the message of the gospel is simple, but the call on those of us who are witnesses to the gospel is simple, but challenging and life-changing. Your life looks different when you're a witness to the kingdom. And so the call to be Jesus' witness is a call for those who, all of us who know and love him. There's no loopholes in the call to be the witness, to be a witness uh, to Jesus. The book of Acts is for all of us who follow Jesus. None of us who say, I follow Jesus, can then say, that whole witness thing isn't for me. Right? We are all witnesses. We're all gifted differently, but we are all witnesses of Jesus. And so if you know and love Jesus, his last earthly word to us, to you, is you will be my witnesses. So how far then? Like, Jesus, how far does this go? Right? Well, he says, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, if we were to look at that, we could see that we can kind of make some concentric circles that the gospel is going to go out from this place of start and, and go to the whole world. Many of us have heard these words so many times. I've heard it so many times, if you, and especially if you go to any kind of training where we're going to talk about planting churches or replanting churches we say this phrase, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the ends of the earth. To where it kind of loses its meaning. But, but put yourself in the situation of these disciples who are hearing this. Think about the shock that these geographic designations actually would bring to them. Jerusalem, that's where they killed Jesus. Judea is where they had been rejected. Samaria is where those half-breeds live that we don't get along with as Jews. The ends of the earth, you mean Gentiles, who are lower than dogs. God's going to do something there? This is not just a spiritual kind of revolutionary thing to say. We have to understand this is actually a social and ethnic challenge for them. We're going to get to that at uh, the, 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 the house that Peter goes to. But this is a whole life challenge for them for Jesus to say, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. But, but if you know the story of the church, 
you know that Jesus' plan happened, just like he said it would. We're sitting here in the ends of the earth, and we're in the church. And so the gospel was carried by witnesses of Jesus to all those places. And one day in the early 1930s, a couple of women decided, let's start a Sunday school class for some kids in our neighborhood in Lansdowne. And that's how it happens. And then here we are today. And so this is the greatness and the grandness of the witness heart of those who follow Jesus. We long simultaneously for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth, right? We long for that. We're going to get to play a little part in that in, in Teo's life and, and in uh, Hope and Joy's life as they go to places that are like on the other side of the world from us. And we feel that connection. But what's important for us to remember is that there can't be a burden for distant, unreached people if there isn't a burden for the unreached neighbor that lives next door. And we're going to see that as we get further along in the book of Acts. As followers of Jesus, there's a call on each of our lives to cross any and all divisions that separate us. We, We cross those divisions with the good news of Jesus. Social, economic, political, ethnic, any of those divisions that would normally keep us apart, we cross those as witnesses of a different kind of kingdom. And so we go, and Jesus is calling all, he's calling you to that. And maybe this series in Acts is just a reminder for those of us who've been following Jesus for a long time, you'll be my witnesses. And now let's see how it worked in the early church. He's calling you as his witnesses to have as much care and as much passion for those across the street, as we say we do, for those across the globe who don't know him. People are far from God, but close to you. And so Jesus' final words to us, his witnesses, his church, it really is a calling that demands the very thing that so many of us say that we're longing for. We we long for purpose. We long for meaning. We want to live for something. We want to live passionately. We long for a way of life that brings beauty and joy and peace into our broken world. Well, here it is. This is it. Jesus is calling us to himself, and then through that, he's calling us into this life of being a witness of that relationship that you have with Jesus to everyone around you. And so this call to be a witness is a call to have your life spent. One of my favorite preachers says, it's a call to have your life wrung out for his kingdom and for his gospel, for something that actually matters, that's going to continue on because death doesn't have the final answer over you. And the beauty of it is to be a witness supersedes and takes up any other thing that's a part of who you are in your life. So do you have an hourly job that you don't love but you go to because you got to pay the bills be his witness in that place do you have a career that you love and you're good at and you love being there be his witness in that place are you retired and you're not sure what to do with your time now be his witness in that season are you a parent who stays home with little kids and never has adult conversations all day long be his witness in that season? Are you young? You're trying to figure out what the next chapter of your life is going to look like. Be his 
witness in that season? Are you a caregiver for someone? And all of your time and your energy is taken up with caring for someone who can no longer take care of themselves. Be his witness in that season. Being his witness is, is now what your life is about. This is what your life is about now, following Jesus. And so that means that anything else in your life can be taken to serve that eternal purpose from Jesus. So none of us, if we follow Jesus, are without eternal purpose. Because all of those can serve the purpose, the calling to be his witnesses. The apostles did this and we're called to this as well. But, but here's the thing. In case, you know, if you've been following Jesus for more than five minutes, you know that this is impossible for us. Can't do it in my own power. Don't have it in me. Don't have the capacity in myself to fulfill this calling. And this is actually a paradoxical beauty of the call of Jesus. See, Jesus knows that what we need to accomplish this call is a power that comes from outside of us. And so this is exactly what he reminds us of, promises us in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You can't do it. I'm calling you something you can't do. But I've got a promise for you. And so there's a period of probably about 10 days, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles, and the rest of the New Testament gets written. There's tongues of fire. They speak other languages. They're doing miracles. There's this spiritual power that flows through them. On top of all that, churches are being planted all over the place. And so what we see in this book is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon the followers of Jesus the most unlikely people become conduits of spiritual power. Again, if you really put yourself into this text, you see that this is really pretty dramatic of a statement. This is a pretty dramatic moment. His final statement on earth, the key to the book of Acts. But then, in verse 9, things kind of get even more dramatic. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Or like, I know that's just text on a page for us, but like Jesus went up into heaven. Can you imagine seeing that? No, because we never have seen anything like that. Now, what seems likely is that actually a cloud came down onto the mountain. Now, we've seen this before in the Old Testament. And so this would have been, the disciples would have been connecting all kinds of dots here, right? That... They've seen something we might call the Shekinah glory, a visible representation of the presence of God coming to get Jesus. It's the same symbol that Moses encountered when, when God put him in the cleft of the rock, and he kind of gets a little sight uh, of God's afterglow as he passed. It's the same cloud that would travel before Israel by day and as a pillar of fire by night. It's the cloud that laid over the tabernacle and filled the temple so that the priests couldn't even do their job. It's this glory. It's this cloud that Ezekiel saw going, departing over the gate. It's the same presence that surrounds Jesus that some of the disciples saw on the Mount of Transfiguration in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 17. And so you have to imagine that these guys' hearts are pounding, right? Their eyes are huge, and God is what, what God the Father is doing here in this moment is underscoring and emphasizing and highlighting the, the words that Jesus just spoke to them. And we now live on the other side of that promise. Right? They had to wait not too many days. Well, we've, we're on the other side of the not too many days, and the Holy Spirit has come. And he's with us and he indwells us. We live with the presence 
of God the Holy Spirit, who's a person, not a thing, which means we are the recipients of the promised means by which we can live into this calling to be witnesses of Jesus. So that is the scene. And if this were a movie, this would be when the screen would fade to black, credits would start rolling. But I don't know if you remember movie theaters. I haven't been in like two and a half years. But we would stay in the theater, right? Because we know there's that one more scene that happens after the credits roll. And that's verse 10. So the screen goes black, credits roll, starring Jesus. And then it comes back. And in verse 10, and while they're gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven. This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so the words here, this isn't a treatise on like how it's going to work. This is meant to ignite that witness missionary fire in these men. Jesus is coming back. So stop staring up into the sky and get going. Is what they're saying. And, and this is the same word to us as we start this book. Jesus is coming. Get in the game. Jesus is coming sooner than you think. We used to do this exercise in youth ministry where I would uh, put a 60-second clock on the screen and have the students take a, do a task, and at about seven or eight seconds left, I would say, ah, you know what, time's up. It's always sooner than you think. And they'd get all mad, say, that's not fair, and I didn't know, and I'd say, you're kind of making my point for me. Because it's going to be sooner than you think. His return is imminent. Jesus is our coming king. So he's coming. Jesus has done the work to break the power of sin over you. We celebrated that last week at the resurrection. He's done that work to break the power of sin over you, bring you into this new family we call the church, and he has made you his witnesses, and he has filled you with the power that you need to do what he's called you to do. So start doing it. In grace, you're not earning anything. You're already on the team. So now be on the team. It's my favorite metaphor. You've already been welcomed onto the team as the quarterback. Jesus gave you a position. Now you get to become a quarterback. Meaning, purpose, a life that is spent well. All of these are ours to be had as we simply follow and stay close to Jesus Live in the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us and be what he's called us to be, his witnesses to the ends of the earth and across the street to the glory of God our Father by the power of the Spirit. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for these texts that we get to dig into and kind of bring into our own life as your followers. I just pray that as we move through this book over the next number of weeks, that we would be drawn to what you have always been doing through your church. That you have been sending us out as witnesses to, to say and to do the things of the kingdom so that other people would come to know and love you. We, we want our lives to be wrung out for that. We want our lives to be used up for that. So that when we enter into your kingdom, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we long for that. We long ultimately for your presence, both now as we get a taste of it and in the coming kingdom where we will see you fully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.